Welcome to International Affairs Episode 7. My name is Jeremy here with co-host Matt Thomas. And today we're going to do our best to kind of talk about Sudan. It's a timely topic. It's complex. More questions than answers. More questions than answers. And we're not really sure what's going on. Uh, And I don't think anybody is Mm -hmm. exactly sure what's going on. But um, Sudan, Matt, early Sudan, little history or brief little blips in Sudan's history. What do you got? All right. So as far as a, as a timeline goes, we can, we can really start with, um, you know, around 1967, you have Sudan being the, the host of the, uh, this major Arab league summit. And they, they sign what was called the Khartoum resolution, uh, infamous for the three no's. Uh, no peace with Israel, no recognition of Israel, and no uh, negotiation with it. So all of this is happening around the time of uh, the Six Day War, and then uh, later, uh, later wars uh, between Israel and the Arab nations around it. Uh, then, you know, it's it's had coup after coup after coup after coup after coup uh, throughout the 20th century from the 1950s onward. Um, Really, insta- really unstable. Um, a lot of power struggles, mm-hmm. fighting factions, really based on ethnic, tribal issues and mm-hmm. religion. Uh, I think that's what, what it comes to. You got tons of corruption, mm-hmm. and then those and, competing priorities with so many different factions. Yeah, and unstable authoritarian regimes, military dictators. Um, you had the the Darfur War and genocide in 2013. You had a long-standing civil war, which eventually resulted in the independence of South Sudan. Um, Omar al-Bashir was in charge of the country for nearly 20 years, something like that. Um, and he's ousted in a coup in 2019. Um, during his tenure, it was... Uh, on the U.S.'s list of state sponsors of terrorism, having harbored Al-Qaeda uh, right. and Osama bin Laden. Yeah, um, so if we go to the 90s, just, mm-hmm. you know, relatively recent history, right? Osama bin Laden was living in Sudan, operating out of Sudan, and Sudan is primarily, or is, uh, a Sunni state. It's long history of being a religious state and kind of that more uh, ultra-conservative Wahhabism, Salafi spinoff or under the umbrella of the Sunni Islam really kind of flourishes in Sudan. And so Osama bin Laden found refuge there in the early 90s after leaving the Arab Peninsula, the Saudi Peninsula, and that actually was ousted in, I think, 96. Uh, yeah, he was expelled in, in the late 90s and then uh, found another safe harbor with the Taliban in Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Right. So, you know, because in 98, hmm. we had uh, shortly after kind of that, that central, east central part of Africa was really falling under the spell of this super ultra conservative Islam. And you know, we've, we've had a lot of terrorist activity come out of mm-hmm. these countries. 
Yeah, you have Somalia and uh, and Black Hawk Down in the '90s, right? Right. You have um, you have the the embassy bombings in Nairobi and right. in Tanzania. Yeah. Uh, so that was a a time of a lot of terrorism in East Africa, um, and then you go into genocide in the Darfur War uh, in in two thousand three. Uh, and Omar al-Bashir is kind of central in, in all of this as the military dictator in the country. Uh, he's ousted, like I said, in 2019 uh, by way of a military coup. And then they kind of have this weird transitional government uh, where they're trying to you know, enact certain reforms and, and try to get a little bit of aid from, uh, from the rest of the world. And kind of power sharing. <clears throat> mm-hmm. and, and in 2020... Uh, in what was largely seen as kind of a quid pro quo uh, to to get removed from the state sponsors of terrorism list, they agree to normalize ties with Israel, uh, but that doesn't last because in 2021 there's another coup, uh, and that's kind of the the precursor to what we have here. Out of that coup, you get two uh, military leaders, two generals. Uh, one from the army and one from an organization uh, called the RSF. Uh, and they start sharing power, but it's kind of devolved into a power struggle. Um, so it's, over a, it's time. a coup of a coup is what's... Uh-huh. And what we're seeing here is, is the coup of the coup of right. the coup of the coup. Right, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, so now we have almost this kind of civil war between the RSF and the army uh, is is kind of what it looks like right now. Uh, that's that's kind of the best way that I have to describe it. Yeah, and I'd like mm-hmm. we were discussing earlier before we started the show that you know the civilian engagement is not that great, other than they want stability and they they you know I think they've been pushing for so long to have a civilian government and to get these really egotistical, power hungry military generals and lieutenant generals out of running government affairs because it has been decades of instability and corruption and and a whole host of of violent uh, affairs economic problems uh, it's it's really been a mess for for 20 years and and longer yeah. You know, 70 years, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's sad, the instability, you know, we can probably attribute some of that to uh, the U.S.'s uh, disinterest in... Yeah, it, it's kind of taken a backseat in that region to Russia and China, which have really tried to leverage um, anti-Western sentiment in, in the entire continent of Africa, really, um, <clears throat> using that history of colonialism to kind of prop up these dictatorial regimes often kind of on a Marxist-Leninist ideology uh, or a radical Islamic mixed with Marxist-Leninist ideologies. Um, And so Russia and China have been really effective at playing the propaganda war uh, as well as being able to prop up these different corrupt regimes that will help to benefit Russia and China. Right. And that brings up why, you know, what is the benefit for Russia and China with some of these countries, but in particular Sudan, mm-hmm. is it natural resources, coastline? What do we got? So, and uh, I'll speak for the Russian uh, case specifically here in Sudan. 
that, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> the, the Russians are, are really interested in two things. Um, they're interested in a naval base uh, in Sudan, uh, the city of Port Sudan, which is kind of its main uh, port on the Red Sea, is located almost halfway into the Red Sea. And it's an ideal place for the Russians to project naval power and to establish uh, military headquarters in Northeast Africa. And this, this base gives it quick access to um, the Indian Ocean, right? the Middle East, Suez Canal, Mediterranean, right? And so it drastically reduces the amount of distance that Russia would have to travel to get to those locations right. and be able to use its, you know, ability to play that geostrategic game in those regions. Sure. And, and so this places it in a location where it's close to the other places that it's meddling in. Right. It's meddling in Libya, Syria. It's a key ally of Iran. Right. Um, and it, it likes to meddle in South Asia, Southwest Asia, Middle East, right? It, yeah, and then we'll talk about the natural mm -hmm. resources uh, that are available in Africa. Mm -hmm. In several countries there, we've got their uh, private military contractor group, Wagner, mm -hmm. um, and, operating there. And is it, mm -hmm. so is it, we got gold, we got oil, other precious mm -hmm. minerals. Yeah, in Sudan we have gold and oil, uh, and the gold there is um, is particularly of importance to Russia as it seeks to circumvent sanctions related to the conflict in Ukraine. And so uh, for Russia, it's really interested in being able to maintain close ties with a corrupt authoritarian regime in Sudan. And... To a certain degree, it looks like Russia has kind of had amicable relations with both the army and with the RSF. Sure. Um, and it appears at this point in time that the, that the Wagner group um, is more or less supporting the RSF, which... We know that it supported uh, Haftar Khalifa in the Libyan Civil War, right? And Khalifa seems to be kind of supporting the RSF as well. But there's no real clear answers as to how or why. What, what, what benefit comes from those particular relationships? Right. And, and the RSF uh, leader, uh, popularly known as Hamedi, uh, has been in Moscow recently and and seems to be uh, the primary beneficiary of uh, the the deal that Russia brokered with Sudan for its naval port at Port Sudan. Sure, but then we mm -hmm. also have oil, oil mm -hmm. uh, exports. I believe China gets mm -hmm. uh, a decent quantity of crude exported out of Sudan, uh, and so then that brings China into the fold. Right. Of why Sudan's maybe critical to China energy. Exactly. And, and so it would appear, you know, publicly anyway, Russia and China have called for both sides to end the conflict, um, along with the United States, the EU, uh, and, and so on. 
right? Kind of an unusual, uh, unusual thing to see US, UK, EU, China, and Russia right. all saying stop fighting. Right. But um, at the same time, we know that China and Russia would be wanting the fighting to end for very different reasons than the US, UK, and EU. And yet we have Russia through the Wagner group possibly supporting one side. And so where does that go? Right. right. And, and how does that fit in? We know. Well, I suppose if, mm, if, if, if you need those precious minerals and you're circumventing sanctions and you need mm -hmm. that payday out of Sudan to help mm -hmm. fund whatever actions you have taking place in other parts of the world. If a fight breaks out between your two buddies that are corrupt and allowing you to pilfer those resources, you've, uh, I guess, are pushed to pick a side. Yeah, and, and ideologically, Russia is not really bound to either one of them. Right. But it appears at this point that Russia is primarily picking the side of the RSF. Perhaps they think that this guy is more likely to succeed, uh, to succeed or maybe they think he's more likely... Um, to be beholden to them if he does succeed. Right. Um, perhaps he is more, um, more likely to allow them to keep doing what, uh, what they want to do, or maybe there's some kind of deal that gives them more of a regional footprint. We know that they're involved in Libya and in the Central African Republic uh, and here in Sudan. So... There's a lot of questions, um, but we don't really have any clear answers yet as to how all of this fits together. And now, that, that military base on uh, the primarily naval base at Port Sudan, the, what Sudan got out of it is that um, so Russia would be able to have four, uh, four naval ships, nuclear-capable ships, uh, in the Red Sea. And then would also uh, be able to station certain amounts of its military uh, assets beyond the naval um, naval personnel in Port Sudan. In exchange, Sudan got uh, 25 years of basically weapons delivery uh, from Russia, which would then be renewed every. Uh, in 10 year increments, as long okay. as both sides agreed. And so that's what Sudan got out of this was basically a, a string of uh, military supplies. And I presume the U S pushed back against that before that deal went down and mm -hmm. Sudan, those two boys running the country said, no, we want weapons. We want money. We want to give them our gold and oil. Mm -hmm. um, and and, and basically, basically, they they said out uh, out loud that they didn't care if it was Russia. You know, they wanted the weapons and and the money. Right, right. So uh, you have you have that going on there. And besides, uh, Russia is kind of an ideal partner for a corrupt authoritarian regime because Russia is not going to ask it to change. Right, right. Yeah. In, in any way other than to benefit Russia itself. And those kinds of changes are the kinds of changes that a corrupt dictatorial regime would like. So right. it's, it's not going to ask it to improve on its human rights record like the United States would. Right. 
Yeah. So this is kind of, to a certain degree, that involvement there. We know that that Russia wants to leverage its regional power over in that particular area um, of the world and to be able to, you know, since the Soviet times... Right, uh, they've been playing they've around been in Africa for a long time. Playing around in Africa, seeking to... Uh, to prop up friendly regimes in Africa, um, to extract resources, to um, have kind of a large political front against the West. Right. Uh, you have in that meddling in Africa, and you also have that meddling in the Middle East, where they basically tried to support or prop up anything that would be antithetical to U.S. Anti, or UK, French, right, interests in the Middle East. And so that's why you have them supporting um, supporting the, the revolution in Iran. That's why you have them uh, tacitly supporting Hezbollah and, and so forth throughout uh, the Soviet period and then later on into uh, post-Soviet Russia. These different groups that, you know, Russia backs Islamic State sponsors of terror as well as various uh, terror organizations within the Middle East, while at the same time squashing them at home, right? right? Uh, because they are useful to it uh, in its objectives against the West. Yeah, really interesting. So in Sudan now, we there was an attempted ceasefire brokered because we, there's a lot of foreigners in Sudan this thing kind of popped off overnight and it's how do we get all these people out? And so that's a current work in progress on how do we exfil all of these innocent foreign citizens. Each country has their own responsibility to do that, protect embassies, close down embassies, draw down staff, get people out of the country. And so the Intel must be pointing to a further deterioration and mm -hmm. somewhat of a collapse and oh, and then who's holding the bag and what's going to happen next right and and so if we're going to end up with some kind of a collapse you know who wins the power struggle or is there a power vacuum uh and and from there who fills that vacuum in right right uh we don't know. <laughs> right. But <laughs> you know? we, we do know, though, that we're going to have these strong players, Russia, mm -hmm. China, and collectively the West, that are attempting to shape the outcome. Shape and the outcome and provide some stability, whether that's through short-term, more aggressive action on one side to completely stomp out the other side, or peace talks negotiations which you know i don't think they're yeah. not they're you know that doesn't work anymore right in this and, context and yeah in this particular context you know what what do we have to give them right. right what and what leverage is there right you know how do you how do you get these sides that are so vehemently against you and equally as corrupt and, and equally, equally as corrupt, equally as ideologically driven, equally as, uh, authoritarian. Right. They want nothing other than what they, mm -hmm. you know, want exactly selfishly want. Yeah. And, and to enrich themselves. Right. So, you know, where do you go from there? And, 
you know, it, it's going to take a lot of creativity to, to be able to work with that. And uh, unfortunately for us, they're more likely to be willing to work with the Russians and the Chinese because the Russians and Chinese are going to more or less give them what they want. And in exchange, they're going to give the Russians and Chinese what they want, and you'll have this relationship that, you know, it might be a parasitic one for Sudan in the right. case that, uh, that it's being sucked dry of, of anything that it could have. But the authoritarian dictator doesn't care because he's getting what he wants. Right. If that equals money, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter. It's, exactly. The country's getting sucked dry. That's so, um, yeah, as you alluded to, way more questions than answers. And the questions are important if we can't develop proper questions or even the thought process to come up with the right questions, then we'll never get to a potential answer mm -hmm. if we don't ask them. Um, and right now the information is very muddy and, and you have uh, charges being levied against one another um, and, and they're accusing each other of doing the things that they're accusing each other of doing, right? So right. one guy says, you're doing this, and the other guy says, no, you're doing this, and, and it's back and forth and back and forth. Right, and they're probably both doing it. And they, yeah. Exactly, they're probably both doing it. Um, Wagner Group, uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin denies being, being involved in this. And yet, more, yeah, more or less, he when he says that uh, that any questions related to their involvement in it uh, is is essentially a provocation. I mean, there's a threat. Right, right. he's involved. Right, and and so that that answers that question. And besides, we have uh, we have intelligence that indicates that yes, they are involved. Uh, and that is uh, more or less open source, right? That, I don't know. You weren't supposed to say that, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> right. We, we have, you know, you can read a news article and find right. where the planes are going. Right. And, and so um, what, a, what intelligence we have beyond that, I don't really know. But, uh, uh, but that much is open source. And, and so we know that the Wagner Group is involved. Um, and why wouldn't they be, right? They're, there's key interests in right. Sudan with the, the natural resources and with maintaining a regime in Sudan that will be uh, co-opted. By right. the Russians, and you have Somalia right next, uh, right next door, not far away. Uh, you have Central African Republic right there. You have Libya right there. Uh, so geographically, it makes sense, right? Uh, and then, what kind of additional spillover are we going to have out of Sudan? Right, whenever we had the Arab Spring, there was a lot of spillover. Mm -hmm. You know, as the Sudanese coups have taken place over decades, right? Information flow is much quicker, faster, even than it was maybe in 2019. Mm -hmm. um, and so as information propagates and, you know, you've got both sides essentially conducting psychological operation campaigns against the other side, a lot of propaganda, a lot of information flow, where's the truth lie? And that's all getting pushed out to the base citizenry of Sudan, you know, as this thing really starts to take shape and spin out of control, it's going to be interesting to watch and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And how that affects stability uh, in, in places that have already been unstable in the past, such as South Sudan, Central Africa, Central African Republic, and so on. Right. Yeah. Right. Somalia as well. Um, you know, and then we have mm -hmm. the outflow of refugees, you know, exactly. a bunch of people are leaving, uh, you know, I see that a lot are going to he heading towards Nairobi, 
mm-hmm. and um, it just it, you know what is that going to do? What's the Kenyan government going to say? Mm-hmm. You know, as they start to get bombarded with refugees from another Sudanese conflict, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that, and then there's that spillover of extreme Islamic idea. Mm-hmm. that starts to flood into some of these countries that have been more moderate or have gained some more moderacy over over time that influence mm-hmm. uh it'll be interesting to watch and see what happens i love africa you know i love i wish i was there to see for myself what was going on but um sudan if you guys have any idea on what's going on in sudan Mm-hmm. Leave us some comments. Let's yeah. have a dialogue back and forth. Let's talk day to day. Let's talk strategically. Let's talk tactically. Let's uh, play around. Not play around with Sudan. That sounds bad. Let's figure out Sudan. Uh huh. Throw the throw some ideas out there and and ask the questions and say, okay, what what is happening? Why is it happening? How does it affect the region? How does it affect uh, broader geopolitics? How did we get here? Um, and and where do we go from here? Right, <laughs> right? right. Yeah. You know, and what, what's the root cause of continual failure mm-hmm. in Sudan? Same thing with Somalia. What's the root cause of continual failure? You know, who are these people mm-hmm. that that get put into positions of power? And what makes them tick? Right. What makes them do the things that they do? And, you know, is it ideology? Is it greed? Is it uh, lust for power? Is it um, any number of different things? I I think to a certain degree in Sudan, you probably have all three of those and more. Um, So, you know, does mm -hmm. do super authoritarian dictators create stability? Clearly, they don't, <laughs> right? Or in some cases, will it? You know, mm-hmm. um, I guess to what extent would Sudan need um, you know, like hardcore authoritarian rule? Does that, could that mm-hmm. create some stability for 20, 30 years? Right. We had continuous hardcore authoritarian r- rule under Omar al-Bashir. And yet there we had civil war ongoing, Darfur right. genocide, um, and harboring Al-Qaeda. Right. So perhaps these people also maybe foment more instability. Um, but if you get one on the, on the other end of the spectrum that has it completely locked down, like, say, uh, Berdy Mohamedov in, in, uh, in Turkmenistan, mm-hmm. well, Turkmenistan is, is a dreadful place to live, but right. it is stable. Right. Right? So... I mean, where, it's kind of what I'm alluding to. What, right, on what end of the you, continuum do we say, all right, this, what the Sudanese have been doing has not worked. Mm-hmm. Why has it not worked? And what are the potential alternatives? Mm-hmm. And, and what, what would a democratic transition look like in Sudan? Would it be another Egypt debacle right. um, where, where you have the... Uh, Basically, the democratically elected scumbag was just as bad or worse than the authoritarian scumbag and and was even 
more harsh on human rights, uh, persecuted the Coptic Christians uh, even more terribly than had been done under the authoritarian dictators, and uh, and supported more terroristic elements in right. in society. Or do you get something that could actually be a positive development in in Sudan? Where where on that continuum does it lie? And what potential does it have to reach either outcome, good or bad? Right. right? Yeah. And so I guess, what do you see, for, in your opinion, of further U.S. involvement and interest in Sudan? Is that something that we can and uh, should pursue? Or? I mean, right now, if I'm looking at the, the agenda, right, we've got China, Taiwan, we've got Russia, Ukraine, mm-hmm. and other... We, other right issues yeah where does this one lie on the list of priorities and and really what what can we reasonably achieve right you know (laughs) and your guess is as good as mine uh as as far as that goes uh because of how much sway russia and china really do have in sudan um that it's it's hard to say it Um, is it is it a complete quagmire mm and it's been this way for a long time, unfortunately, and it's sad because mm-hmm. there are extreme human rights abuses that are taking place and a lot of innocent people being displaced, losing horrible their lives. Horrible suffering, right? Horrible mm-hmm. suffering. And so that is something that I can't tolerate. However, it's what do you, what do, you do? Mm-hmm. How do you fix it and can you fix it? And... If you can, what does that look like? Right. You know? Right. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately that, yeah, gets added to the list of problems in mm-hmm. the world. And which seem to be growing day by day. Seem to be growing day by day. We can just continue to add that, mm-hmm. you know, pencil those in and say what can the U.S. do what can the U.S. with our allies do? Because we can't do everything, unfortunately, and it's sad. Mm-hmm. It's sad. We need to be strong. We need mm-hmm. to build up strength. We need to project power. We need strong leadership because these things matter. And and from here, what happens next? Right. Where where does it go? Where, where does, does the next fire over? start? Where does the next fire start? Um, and and how does this affect our interests in the rest of the world? And how does this affect human lives in Sudan itself, and then broadly elsewhere? Right. Depending on what does happen next, um, does this spill over into a broader conflict? Does it stay with contained within Sudan? We don't know at this time, right? Right. We need we need some uh, we need to send some spies over there and figure out what's <laughs> going on. Get some good intel, mm-hmm. you know, and find out what do these guys want. What's going to satisfy them? And who will they be in ten, twenty years? Whenever they've taken power and become the next, right? The next Omar al Bashir, right? You know? Yeah. 
So really, back again, circling around, questions are more important than answers. We don't have the answers, but we know as we're watching with you guys day by day what's happening in Sudan, keeping track of the news, trying to to follow the developments as they take place. It's not easy. It's complex. This is international affairs. This is you know, geopolitics. This is, you know, we gotta, we're going to even, you know, part of what we do around the globe is deny this extreme Islamic ideology a foothold, you know, because when they're able to have a safe place to operate out of, you know, those groups start to grow mm-hmm. and those groups start to develop. And, um, you know, so it's going to be interesting to see if we, you know, where Sudan lies in the future mm-hmm. with and these radicalism. Groups, yeah. And these groups have, uh, have ideological affinities with other radical, right. um, radical ways of thinking. Right. Uh, most of these, um, kind of more or less fascist in their their Islamism uh, groups beyond just violent terrorist extremism also uh, economically fall into a Marxist-Leninist camp. Their propaganda is inherently Marxist-Leninist in its, uh, in its nature. Um, they have mutual affinities with Russia, with China, and uh, you saw this in the, the mid-20th century as well with uh, Kamal Abdel Nasser in, in Egypt and his pan-Arabism, right? Uh, you had that same connection with Marxism and Leninism uh, out of, uh, out of this, this kind of solidifying of an anti-Western, anti-U.S. block uh, yeah. of, of essentially... A, a block of evil. Right. Yeah. So where does Sudan go from here? We don't know. We need smart people to figure that out. And, you know, we should be praying for the situation in Sudan and praying for our country. And we'll try to update or have more discussion about Sudan as things develop mm-hmm. uh, because it's, on the list and it's mm -hmm. going to unfortunately be a long conflict. This is not something that's just going to end overnight to Mm -hmm. end overnight. So that's Sudan in a nutshell from Matt and I's point of view. We're not experts on Sudan, uh, but we know a little bit about international affairs and how all this stuff might work together. So that's episode seven, Sudan. Matt, you got anything else to add before we go? Right. Sometimes, sometimes this is the name of the game, right? You, you have a really sticky situation with no good answers. It's like, how do you get chewing gum out of your hair? Right. Right. <laughs> you know? Oil, peanut butter. <laughs> right. And so you have, uh, you have a quagmire and, and more or less one of the, the unfortunate things in all of this is that, uh, Sometimes different countries don't play nice. Right. And, and somebody's got to take a lead in this thing. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes we end up seeing a scenario where there is loss of human life, lots of uh, quite a bit of human suffering uh, in the process, and it just keeps going and it keeps building. 
Um, Sudan appears to be one of these cases at this point in time. And at this juncture, I don't really see a positive resolution to, uh, to the problem, but, uh, hopefully we can have people who, uh, who are creative and are able to, to work with the situation. So like you said, Sudan's a quagmire. Um, and it's not the only one of these in the world, but it is one that has really started to boil over uh, over the last few days. And, and like you said, we'll keep tracking that and uh, finding new developments as we continue to look at the timely issues around the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. And hey, we never, uh, we gave away a book a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, we never heard from you. I think it was the grumpy pair, the angry mm-hmm. pair, something like that. If that's you, reach out to us. Uh, and if we don't hear from you, we'll try to figure out how to send you a message through YouTube. It's all new to us, mm-hmm. uh, but we'll try to figure out how to get in contact with you uh, so that we can mail you a signed copy of Jim Olson's book, The Art of Counterintelligence to Catch a Spy. Uh, former CIA chief of counterintelligence. Great guy. Great book. So the grumpy pair. Was it angry pair? Grumpy? I think it was grumpy. The grumpy, grumpy pair. And hey, uh, reach out to us. And next week we will be choosing the next winner. Yeah. So I think we're going to you know, have what four or five signed copies of Jim Olson's book. We really like to give them away. And we cannot see most of our subscribers because you guys have your settings set to private. So we don't know who you are. We only have like 20 people in our list, I think. That we can actually see who they are. Right, out of nearly 100 Mm -hmm. subscribers. So uh, if you want to win a copy, you got to come out of the closet. Mm Mm-hmm. Come out of the cold. (laughs) Right. right. All right, guys. uh, Thanks for listening. Uh, That's episode seven, Sudan, with INTA now, International Affairs. We'll see you guys for the next episode. Have a great night.